pleasure to introduce somebody who, in fact, uh, for this case, does not need any introduction. Um, Reverend Dr. Heidenbad Lady is not only uh, a graduate of the Graduate Theological Union, with which the Institute of Studies uh, is affiliated, but is also one of our faculty who will be continuing to teach for us next year, doing an online class uh, in the history and teachings of them. He is also now on the faculty at Loyola University of Chicago and is the Dharma teacher for the Ancient Dragon Zen Gate in Chicago, uh, a Zen meditation group there. Um, he will be waving around his book, <laughs> which I can assure you is excellent, having read it uh, in, a bird, in an earlier incarnation. Uh, and which is also available for purchase in the bookstore. And I'm sure, I'm sure that if you have a pen and have purchased a copy of his book, you can pressure him into signing it for you. Okay. Um, so we're speaking tonight on visions of awakening space and time, uh, which we were talking earlier is a way of thinking about what is probably the dominant Mahayana worldview uh, and distinct from the kind of overly rationalized, stripped down, um, productivized version of Mahayana that we here in the West have inherited. So with that as an introduction, back here at the Buddhist Studies. Actually, I haven't left, but I'm here usually only online. Uh, so, uh, uh, first of all, I want to thank Dr. Payne. Uh, Richard was is very much part of this book. This is based on my um, uh, doctoral dissertation, which he was the chair of the video and helped quite a lot in terms of figuring out what was wrong with chapter five and making it put how you put up all together. So uh, uh, I'm going to talk about some aspects of this. There's a lot of material in here and uh, I hope there'll be questions and we can have some discussions too. I'll start off with this there's various places to start off. Uh, this is about Dogen and Dogen's relationship to the Lotus Sutra, but I'll start off with the Lotus Sutra. So the focus of the book is the, the central story of the Lotus Sutra, chapters 15 and 16. Uh, and just a brief version of chapter 15, after the Buddha has been through the first half of the Sutra, exhorting his disciples and the Bodhisattvas to asking them, who will, in the distant future, evil age of uh, war of terror and so forth, who will, uh, who, which, what, who will come and keep alive the Lotus Sutra? Uh, teaching. And finally, this group of bodhisattvas who have come from some distant galaxy to hear the Lord's Sutra, which they do whenever the Lord's Sutra is being propounded, say, oh, we'll come, we'll come back and, and, and keep alive the Lord's Sutra teachings, and at which point the Buddha says, oh, that's not necessary. And he points to the ground, and from out of the ground, instantly emerge back towards the bodhisattvas. 
uh, who has been practicing for incalculable ages in the open space under the ground. This, so this, this, this is one of the first uh, central images, is the idea of bodhisattvas emerging from under the ground, from under our feet, and that they have been practicing there for a long time and will continue to do so. Uh, this leads to Maitreya and the other disciples saying, well, who are these guys? Where do they come from? Uh, and the Buddha said, oh, well, I think I caught them. Uh, and, and the uh, Maitreya and on behalf of the other disciples said, wait a second, how's that possible? These are obviously venerable ages, beings we know you left the, the palace 40 years ago and became the Buddha and so forth. And then there's the revelation the next, the second part of the story that when the Buddha says that actually, even though I, I seem to have been born and left the palace and awakened and, and I'm about to pass this nirvana, actually I have been practicing the, since I awakened for and then just an astronomical long period of time, and I will continue to do so for quite that long in the future. So this is kind of upsetting all these regular versions of the story of Buddha uh, and Buddhism. The, and is this image of the long-term sustainable both bodhisattvas right over our feet under the ground, ready to emerge, and the Buddha being present on the present for a very long time. Uh, and then he explains that some people might not bother to practice themselves if they knew, you know, the Buddha was here and they, didn't, they would feel like they didn't have to practice. So he pretends to uh, enter into the Paragavana and, and then be reborn and so forth. <coughs> so, okay, this is the central story from the Lotus Sutra that, that I deal with in, in this book. And it's also the central story of the Lotus Sutra, according to the early Chinese uh, uh, interpreters of the Lotus Sutra. The first half of the Sutra is referred to as the cause section. And this is, in this section, the first half of the Sutra, the idea is the of the disciples and the bodhisattvas will practice for many, many, many lifetimes and incalculable ages and do all this rigorous bodhisattva practice. And then, in some future distant age, or sometimes the Buddha tells particular disciples, might in some future age, you will be the Buddha so-and-so. Um, and uh, so it involves long, long lifetimes of practice. But then once there's this story about the Bodhisattva emerging from the ground and the Buddha being present throughout, there's a shift, and it's a shift in the Lotus Sutra. The second half of the Sutra is called the fruit or result of practice section. Going back to uh, Dao Sheng and Zhiyi, great Chinese, early Buddhist Chinese masters. So uh, one of the things I talk about in this book is how this story is kind of demarcation of two approaches to Mahayana Buddhist practice. The first, most of it is the Tibetan Mahayana, again, is this, this, this arduous lifetime of practice. The second, which is extremely important, especially in Japan, but throughout East Asia, is this idea of, well, one way to describe it is the shortening of the path, that with faith in the presence of Buddha, that here it is, here's the journal. So there's a kind of leap that happens based on the story. There's other ways, in the, there's also the story a little bit earlier in the Lotus Sutra of an eight year old uh, 
Sutter and Rocketing, who appears to Buddha as one of the um, disciples of Bodhisattva, says, uh, is it possible to attain Buddhahood very quickly? And he says, yes, watch if she gives him an offering of uh, some jewels, and, and he accepts it, and like that, then she becomes a Buddha. Uh, this is very surprising. She's, first of all, she's a girl. She's only eight years old. She's not even quite human. She's a daughter of the prophet. So anyway, there, there are various images for this, but the story of the Bodhisattva under the ground and of an emerging and of the Buddha being, if not eternal, present, basically present for a long time. The Buddha is here. Uh, this is a, a kind of marked elite in the history of Mahayana Buddhism. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, scholarship recently looking again at what happened in the Kamakura period of Japan. So, which is a book on revisioning Kamakura Buddhism is an important part of this. Uh, something happened, and I think it has a lot to do with what's going on in the Lotus Sutra. So out of Tendai Buddhism, the Japanese um, classical Buddhism that held the Lotus Sutra as the main, uh, the, the form of scripture, came Dogen, uh, I'm going to talk about, Ichiret, but also Shinran and Honesh. So it's interesting that Shinran represents his faith Buddhism, you know, in some ways most strikingly of all the great Buddhist masters. He didn't mention the Lotus Sutra in any of them. He mentions, I think, in, in Shiva's writing of the Lotus Sutra. But still, it's in the background, the possibility of uh, faith mind, of uh, not, not through one's effort over lifetimes of practice, but over realizing the reality of Buddhist presence. Uh, something can happen. Uh, in the, so I'm going to talk more about Dogen, but in the period after Shinran in the, in the uh, half century after Dogen, which is 1200 to 1253, um, this is probably the most, the best known pure land teacher in Japan was Iten. And he does talk about the Lotus Sutra, more than Shinran. Uh, Iten points out that even in the Lotus Path, one must give up the body and life of the self in order to realize enlightenment. He asserted clearly the Dharma Lotus and the name of Amida are one. The Dharma Lotus is Dharma as color and form. The name of the Nambutsu is Dharma as mind. Since form and preceding mind are non-dual, the Dharma Lotus is itself the name of Buddha. Thus, the pure land meditation scripture teaches, the person who utters the Nambutsu is a lotus flower among people. So, for each head, the pure land Nambutsu and the lotus sutra Dharma are mutually supporting and ultimately not separate. So, this is just one indication of the relationship. Uh, that all of these figures emerge from. Uh, so I should mention Nichiren. I talk about, uh, in the book I talk about some of the history of this and talk about commentaries on the story of the Lotus Sutra from a number of figures in China and Japan. Nichiren and, and the forms of Nichiren Buddhism that followed from him took the Lotus Sutra as literally the object of devotion. So Namnyo Rengakyo <clears throat> like, this is like the Nichiren and Buddha, the, the chanting of the name of the Lotus Sutra and the uh, characters to the Lotus Sutra are the main object of veneration, and of course they study the Lotus Sutra as well. That's one approach to venerating the Lotus Sutra. What I talk about in the book is how Dogen uses the Lotus Sutra. So Dogen 
Uh, what I want to get to is talking about the worldview that, in some ways, was the basic background of Mahayana in medieval Japan, as Richard was saying. Uh, we don't understand it so well because we receive this kind of, I don't know, Protestant or this mo- kind of modern, rational, Western view of the Mahayana. But this worldview of um, reality as, according to Dr. Cage, space and time and the earth itself as part of the work of awakening uh, is uh, very deep in medieval Japanese Buddhist worldview and very much something that Dogen plays with and determines it and uh, demonstrates. And he specifically uses this story from the Lord of Sutra to do that. But I want to say a little bit about uh, another aspect of Dogen and how he uses the sutra rather than as a I thought my teacher ends up. Richard and I uh, edited together a book called Discourse um, and Ideology in Medieval Japanese Buddhism. And, stuff. and, um, and part of what was going on there is a shift in the way people talk and the way and, and the rhetorical style and uh, how people talk the Buddhist practice. And so Part of what Dogen uses in the Lotus Sutra is to work with the images and the imagination and the parables and the visions of the Lotus Sutra uh, as a way of expressing what he was trying to say about, we could say, Zen truth and the Buddhist truth. Um, so I'll put a couple of scholars about this. Christian George Tanabe Jr., uh, this is actually from the Kukan who was another figure in Kamakura um, period from the traditional Shingon uh, and Kengo school, a uh, very dynamic figure who, uh, I talk about this in, in, in the book too, uh, I can talk about it more if people have questions, but he actually in a very, had a very different response to the second story of the Lord of Sutra than Dogen. But Miyawe um, is known now for having had a very extensive green journal which he kept over a 40 year period and being very involved in visions and, and dreams and using those in his teaching. One of Gogan's successors a few generations later, Kavan, considered the second founder of Sotos that also uh, was very involved in dreams. Anyway, talking in, in, in the context of talking about uh, Nabi talks about the fantastic as an important aspect of Buddhist teaching. Uh, he's talking about this in terms of the flower order, the Dravakamsaka Sutra, which Nyoya particularly generated, which is a very kind of psychedelic commodity text. But uh, he also talks about the Lotus Sutra. Nabi says about the Lotus Sutra. The Lotus Sutra is less a work of memory and more a product of fantasy inspiring new vision derived internally. So this Lotus Sutra uh, is not, it's not so much the, uh, it calls for examination of the significance of the function of imagery as much as, if not more than, philosophy of philosophical doctrine. Now they said visions are essential to the East Asian Buddhist experience, but little has been done by way of research of them. Mahayana Buddhism is, among many things it can be, a tradition of the mind's faculty for producing images in both waking life and sleep. A tradition that is of fantasy producing visions 
entries which were interpreted by the papers for their own meaning and which can be, to add a modern aspect, read by us for their feelings. It will be possible to gain a better understanding of Mahayana Buddhism as a vehicle, not only of ideas and institutions, but of human emotion as well. Only when studies of the fantastic end of the spectrum become more available. So, we're not used to thinking of Buddhism in that way. Uh, I, maybe in, in student studies, uh, I, I, I talked about a little while ago about Kosovo, where, where, where Shimon had his great vision of, of Hanon. Uh, so, visions were very much part of the everyday experience of Mahayana Buddhism in that, in that time. And yet, we have a tendency, I think, maybe among practitioners as well, and certainly in the academy, of you know, focusing on what are the teachings, what are the doctrines, what are the philosophies. But to look at how Mahayana Buddhism has existed, going back to the still as an actual vehicle of practice by human beings, and to seeing, see the human quality, but we have to look at this other side, the, which we might think of as fantastic or visionary. One other reference to that, more specifically, about Dogen himself, this is from Heejin um, Kim, uh, one of the great commenta- modern commentators on Dogen, from his book, A.J. Uh, Dogen, Mystical Realist. He says, Dogen was a religious thinker, not merely or even primarily a philosopher. Dogen's most philosophic moments were permeated by his practical religious concern, against the background of which his philosophic activities stand out most clearly in their truest significance. What Dogen presents to us is not a well-defined, well-made philosophical system, but rather a loose nexus of exquisite mytho-poetic imaginings and profound philosophical decisions. Uh, I, I like that phrase, a loose nexus of exquisite mytho-poetic imaginings. Anyway. Uh, so, this is uh, the tradition that, that of Dogen and uh, and uh, yet we don't understand it so much as that. <coughs> tend to think of uh, meditation practice as some kind of calming, therapeutic kind of uh, spiritual exercise. And yet there's this deep um, underground current of bodhisattva's work. Uh, this is what the Lotus Scripture teaches, and this is actually what Dogen was talking about a lot. Uh, so, Okay, shifting to Dogen a little bit more, what he, what he, where he's coming from in terms of this. My first interest in this, in this question of space and time, comes from one of Dogen's earliest writings called Metawa, Talk on Holiness, Practice of the Way. And there's a section of there called the Self-Fulfillment Samadhi. Jijiyu Zamai in Japanese, which is chanted uh, often in Southern Temple in America too. Um, and near the beginning of this, Sogan said something that is mind boggling, and I've been kind of trying to get my head in between for 30 years. Sogan allows that when one person sits upright in meditation, but displaying the Buddha mudra with one's whole body and mind, that everything in the entire Dharma world becomes Buddha mudra, and all space in the universe completely becomes enlightened. 
how we often think of them as some kind of external objective behavior. So we think of faith as you know, the space between us and the space of you know, within which the IBS building is located, or you know, we have this dimensional sense of space, and often we think of faith as empty space, you know, the, the, the space between my mouth and the sounds of these words in your ears and hearing these words. Okay, but faith is more than that. Uh, there's a story, kind of cute story, that from the koan from the from the Zen literature that he uses um, to talk about this in one of his essays called Faith. He tells about the story of two Zen teachers, uh, older and younger drummer brother, and the older one says, Do you know the grass is fish? And the younger one says, Yes, I do. And the older one says, How do you grasp it? And the younger one stroked the air with him. And the older one says, You don't know how to grasp it. And the younger one says, How do you grasp it, older brother? And she got grasped, his younger brother goes in the attic. And the Chinese reading, you might even see that he stuck his fingers in that nostril and pulled. Anyway, the, other, the younger one yelled in pain, you're killing me, you tried to pull my nose off. And the other one said, you can grasp it now. So faith is not just the empty space between. Faith is, you know, the space between our ears, the space, you know, between our, our head and our toes. Faith is all of reality. So, so Dogen, Dogen is famous for, uh, as Kim called it, this myth of how it's poetic imagining. He plays with language, he plays with images particularly, uh, in a fantastic kind of way to make his point. So there's another essay. Well, there's a bit, first of all, there's a, there's a kind of pun here. Uh, the character Ku, uh, I'll, I'll the character, the character too, which means faith, also means sky, and it also means emptiness. In the Heart Sutra, where it says form is exactly emptiness, emptiness is exactly form, it's the same character. So, when we talk about faith, depending on the context of what he's writing, it could be space, it could be sky, it could be emptiness. Usually, it's very clear what it means space or sky, but there's an overtone of emptiness. So there's this, an essay, another essay where he talks about the flowers of faith, which could be read as the flowers of the sky, or even the flowers of emptiness, or the flowering of space. Anyway, this, this writing um, is circles around a quote from the Surajama Sutra, in which Shakyamuni Buddha says, It is like a person who has padded eyes, seeing flowers of faith. If the thickness of clouded eyes is pure, flowers vanish in space. So this is a kind of standard Buddhist image that we have uh, a structure before our eyes that we can't see how things really are. Where we have these structures of greed and anger and illusion, three poisons, and we can't see the reality of Buddha nature, the reality of the truth. Um, and yet, Dogen turns this image but, so this, 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 this compound, uh, state flowers, the side flowers, is also used to mean cataracts, literally cataracts, you know, cataracts on your, on your eye that, uh, that uh, literally obstructs space. So Dokken turns it around completely to, to kind of valorize the flowers of space, the flowers of space as the Buddhist practice. Um, 
just to read it, uh, one section of what Dogen said. There are the flowers of faith in which the world honored one speaks. Yet people of small knowledge and small experience do not know of the colors, brightness, petals, and flowers of flowers of faith. And they can scarcely even hear the words flowers of faith. Remember, in Buddhism there is talk of flowers of faith. In non-Buddhism they do not even know, much less understand, the talk of flowers of faith. Only the Buddhas and ancestors know the blooming and falling of flowers of faith, the flowers on the ground. Only they know the blooming and falling of flowers in the world. Only they know that flowers in space, flowers on the ground, and flowers in the world are sutras. This is the standard for learning the state of Buddha, because flowers in space are the vehicle upon which the Buddha ancestors rise. The Buddhist world and all the Buddhist teachings are just flowers in space. So this is a, a kind of playing with images that Dogen does in, in a number of different kinds of contexts where he takes an image for illusion and turns it into uh, this is where Buddhist practice, this is how Buddhist practice, this is the practice of Buddhism. So uh, one of Dogen's main, one could say, rhetorical strategy is to show not, to express non-duality, to cut through our usual ideas of good and bad and illusion and enlightenment. And, Enlightenment is not something separate from delusion. How do we, in the deluded human world, experience awakening? They're not separate. Um, and since I'm here at Institute of Buddhist Studies, and uh, there's some scholars here, myself included, um, he also says in this, in this, um, in this uh, essay on Silence and Space, Bodhi, Nirvana, the drama body, selfhood, and so on are two or three petals of five petals opened by flowers of faith. It is like a person who has clouded eyes seeing flowers of faith. Uh, oh no, then he, then he quotes the Buddhist saying, it is like a person who has clouded eyes seeing flowers of faith. If the sickness of clouded eyes is pure, flowers vanish in faith. And Dogen says, because scholars do not know flowers of faith, they do not know a person who has clouded eyes. Do not see a person who has power to Do not meet a person who has power to And do not become a person who has power to Through meeting a person who has power to we should know flowers in space and should see flowers in space. When we have seen flowers in space, we can also see flowers in energy space. So anyway, he, um, by playing with this kind of writing with Buddhist poems, uh, he's, he's pointing out that faith itself is what flowers is in awakening. Um, there are many other examples of how he, how he um, uses images of faith to show that faith, show faith itself being involved with uh, awakening. He, in the, he commenting on a section of the Lotus Sutra where there's a, uh, a stupa of an ancient Buddha who appears in the middle of the air, and uh, it's said that this ancient Buddha comes and appears in the middle of the air. Whenever Buddha is preaching the Lotus Sutra, is writing the Lotus Sutra, anyway, that's a whole other part of the theory of that aspect of the Lotus Sutra. But so again, it says, faith makes space for the Sutra. Faith is an activation for Buddhists. Um, there are many other examples of this. 
want to say a little bit about time and how it's parallel for yoga. Uh, so probably one of the most famous uh, best known essays by Dogen, uh, the most difficult essay by Dogen, is called Being Time, or Uji. Uh, and he talks about time in this, again, in this way as not some objective external container, but as actually our being. Time depends on our existence. Our being is time. Time is not something separating outside. He said we, we should we should honor the side of time that it has to do with 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and both company to stop talking. But uh, he, he also talks about time as actually the quality of our being. So this is very much uh, analogous to what he does with space. Uh, to show, and, and, he, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of this essay, but he uses the image of the the uh, enduring Buddha of the 16th chapter of the Lenten Sutra very much to show this. Um, so there are many, many uh, references to the Buddha's enduring and everlasting quality as a way of showing how time itself is supporting our awakening, supporting our faith and activity as uh, Buddha's devotees. But a little bit about this essay being time. Uh, for Dogen, time, as we have seen for space, is not some intractable, merely external container within which beings are caught. So he does, he, he encourages people to question time, to really look at what is our time and how time moves in many directions. You know, there's 8 o'clock, 8, 15, 8, 30, but there's also, we can remember, uh, some of us can remember previous events in this room. Some of us can imagine future events in this room. Uh, time moves in many different directions. So he said, all beings are time. Just as earth, grasses, and trees, senses, and walls, clouds, and pebbles, all things in the Dharma realm of the universe carry out Buddha work in our space. When beings fully express themselves right now, at the time. So again, says the sharp, vital fit of dharmas dwelling in their dharma positions is itself being time, time being. Beings cannot help but fully express their deepest truth right now. One cannot avoid being time. And then he says, even a partial, half-hearted exertion of being time is completely a partial being time. Even the being time of a you know, kind of partial exhaustive penetration is an exhaustive penetration of a partial being time. So, in some ways, this is profoundly consoling. We may feel like we're not really present, and yet that not really present is the reality of our time right now. Um, but also, he, he emphasizes that we are responsible for time. That we have a, that, that um, another, well, the page number that I put down here is the blank page. So, <laughs> 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 so time is playing tricks Anyway, um, uh, and anyway, he, he, he talks about how, uh, we're responsible for being time, it's our effort that makes this time. So the point is that 
through this conjunction of how Dogen uses the Lotus Sutra, he's expressing this, um, from our modern perspective, profoundly weird idea of reality itself. Space and time and the earth itself are living, what is about ages, supporting us, helping us to find our own way to connect with the Buddhist and um, so maybe I'll just stop there because there are many more aspects of this, but um, you may have some questions or comments.
truthfully is because there seems to be very little experience uh, about it written. And so it was then, but she did send the material back and it was verified that um, it was consistent with the uh, ancestral line that there would be like tape on the text. Tape on the prominent example, but those are also no, first history of that. And the whole essay was, uh, I could talk about it for another hour about expressing the dream within a dream. So uh, it's part of the death tradition. And in medieval, so so there were, uh, and with that, there were other people. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention and didn't is that, uh, in addition to Dogen being very connected with the Lotus Sutra, I uh, talked about some of the later figures. Hockerman from the Rinzai School was very much devoted to the Lotus Sutra in his later, uh, later in his career. He had a great awakening reading the Lotus Sutra uh, a little later on. Uh, Ryokan, a uh, very famous Soto fool in the uh, 18th, 19th century, had cherished the Lotus Sutra. So many scholars think of Soto uh, Zen as not having been connected with the Lotus Sutra. Lotus Sutra is an ancient school, a dead school. But it's very much there. And even uh, Shrimir Suzuki Roshi, who founded the San Francisco Zen Center, which I'm affiliated with, um, when he, uh, quite a section about him in here, and his lectures on the Lotus Sutra, when he came to America, um, he lectured about the Bukit record, the Koan collection, which you might expect, and about the Sangakai or Harmony of Difference in Sameness, which is the Soto um, teaching poem. But he also lectured at Pantahara 67 69 about the Lotus Sutra. According to one student there, it was deadly boring, but he <laughs> needed to lecture about it. I'm sure you know, David just didn't understand it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so it was important enough that Suzuki Roshi could keep mentioning it. So I think it is this, this Lotus Sutra with all its parables and this, and this kind of subtext of the fantastic is very deep in such a sense. And Shiji Kenneth was trained at Shoshiji, which was temple founded by Kezon. So um, this point about appreciating the visionary, um, whether it's dreaming or vision, actually both have been used. And in some sense, in the medieval Buddhist tradition, there was, they didn't make a distinction between sleeping dreams and visions at one time. There's a few people here, like me, had spent uh, early mornings in Tatsahara, half you know, with our eyes sort of open, half awake, and yet things, things kind of like dreams seem to appear. Yeah. Yes, My question is relating to the, um, the state of awakening according to Dogen. Is there a case and time? <laughs> space and time are empty, and, and there's nothing but space and time. And we are space and time. Is what? A more prosaic answer. Um, yeah, so um, see, there's, there's a wonderful little essay, let me see if I can find it, I bet I can, uh, in which Dogen uh, called um, Tempo Rin, um, Turning the Dharma Wheel, and he um, Okay. Yes. Um, he, I think this, you know, the Zen style of to answer questions with images rather than some philosophical position. 
in this in this uh, essay, which he repeats in one of his Dragomol uh, discourses in in Ikorapu, he starts off with a saying about faith by Shakyamuni Buddha, again from the Throne Sutra, Sutra, um, in which the uh, Shakyamuni says, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the ten directions disappears. So, in some sense, that space is empty in space. In a way, it is that space. But then Dogen cites four different classical Chinese Zen teachers who make variations on this statement. Um, one of them says, uh, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the ten directions crashes together, resounding everywhere. So, space makes a big noise. The space is, uh, I don't know if space is there, but space is, is happening. Um, the second one says, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, flower, in, in, in all of the space, flowers are added on brocade. When one, another one says, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the ten directions is simply all space. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Then Dogen quotes his own teacher who says, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, a mendicant breaks his rice bowl. <coughs> no more self Um But Dogen then gives his own version. In Dogen's own version, he says, when one person opens up reality and returns to the source, all space in the ten directions opens up reality and returns to the source. So again, space itself awakens. So, so that's the better answer than I can give. It occurs to me that one of the aspects of the Lotus Sutra that lies in the background of basically all of Japanese Buddhism, which you mentioned Shinshu, Zenshu, and so on, uh, is the idea is the thing that is teaching. Um, and the very, not only the idea of the foreshortening of the path, that practice is awakening, but also the idea that the goal is Buddha, is not Bodhisattva that that comes out of the Lotus Sutra and is a unifying background feature of all of Japanese Buddhism, pure land as much as Zen as in all the rest. Would you share your comments? Yeah, well, it's, it's that the one vehicle teaching is subtle and in some ways problematic. And we've talked about this, the whole idea of skillful means. That, that one way to say it is that all of the different forms of, we could say, of Buddhism, but we could also just say uh, of spiritual activity, are part of the overall work of everyone uh, realized Buddhism. And in some ways, I think this is a very important idea, particularly in a modern pluralistic society. We have all these religions, but some of them are fighting with each other and so forth. Just to see the way in which all spiritual traditions, or we could say all Buddhism, but anyway, um, make it broad. All, that all spiritual activity is aimed at this one goal of universal awakening. Uh, the problematic side of it is that people who talk it, and this is in the, it's problematic, right in the Lotus Sutra, it's certainly problematic 
in Ichiran Buddhism and you know in the sectarianism of Japanese Buddhism where you know, people can say, well all of all of all of the aspects of all of the different Buddhist traditions are part of the one vehicle and you know they're they're the uh, subordinate ones to ours. <laughs> so there's a kind of hierarchical way of understanding it. But I think we can choose how we see it and how we use this idea of the one vehicle and if we and if we see it in collaboration and cooperation then Shishu um, and Menshu and Ichiranshu and Shinshu and so forth, we can all you know, work together in doing the Buddhist work. And then we have to guard against thinking, well, you know, um, either way, you know, well, Shinshu is wonderful, and these Menshu people are just, you know, very well and self Or, you know, the other way around, Ten has a true dharma, but, well, you know, we're close to the other Shinshu people sometimes. But, uh, I, don't think, I don't think we have to do that. So, the one vehicle teaching requires some maturity. And some people have come them. Or Yes? Um, I think there's a line in the Apatomsika Sutra that something about Buddhism, Bodhisattva is rising up at every point in space. Yes. So I wonder if the Apatomsika Sutra could be an influence on Dogen's ideas about space as well as the Lotus Sutra. Yes. Well, I think that's the Sutra. Sure. Um, and not really separate. Um, but yes, the Avatar Sutra, you know, talks about Buddhas appearing on the tips of every blade of grass and every atom there, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So, uh, again, we don't have to see them in, as, as, you know, in a comparative way. Um, so again, but, but what's important is in terms of seeing the history of this, Spoken refers to the Avatar Sutra a little bit, and it's certainly very much part of the background of Sutta Zen dialectics and the Sutta Zen libraries and so forth. But, um, and I talk about the Avatar Sutra actually a fair amount in the book, but Dogen himself cites the Lotus Sutra when he's talking about this stuff. Dogen uses the Lotus Sutra, and that's one of the main points I'm trying to make against the Lotus that, that Dogen, much, many, much more than any other sutra, Mentioned the Lotus Sutra, the first of the lines from the Lotus Sutra. You knew the Lotus, he, Dogen was the master of the koans of the Lotus Sutra, too. He could throw off lines from you know, all the different teaching stories from these different uh, uh, people in China, but he also throws in lines from the Lotus Sutra all over the place. So trying to go through and find the uh, references to chapters you know, 15 to 16 was interesting. That's just a lot of material. I didn't include everything, but I. But the main, the major ones, and where he talks about it too, in terms of particularly in terms of expressing this idea of the imminence of Buddhist bodhisattvas, bodhisattvas in our own practice, the the Buddhists all around us, he specifically uses this story of the Lotus Sutra a lot. And but of course the Anasamkata Sutra is there in the background at all. Is there a particular phase of Buddha's, uh, of uh, Dogen's life and development that he really focused on the Lotus Sutra more? Can you tell from kind of the, the time period in which he wrote it and then referred to that? Or that that, that was a particular kind of phase of his life? Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, no, actually, it's very clear that he refers to the Lotus Sutra throughout all of his career. It's in the earliest writing, it's in the latest writing. All, it, it's a constant throughout his writing. 
uh, a section on that. There's, there's even a story which um, they say now is probably uh, the, 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 the scholars of Kobazawa kind of doubt that it's true, but it's interesting that it's part of the uh, lore of Soto Zen that when Soto was dying uh, in his last illness when he went back to Kyoto for the aging. That uh, yeah, set, um, he spent his last days, last few days, sort of doing walking meditation around the pillar, reciting a passage from chapter 21 of the Lotus Sutra, uh, which, in which chapter when he is addressing directly the Bodhisattva from under the ground. So he, he was. This is the story, and now some of those doubt it, but it's in the Kentucky, the first one of the early, but. His biography to Dogen. And the, uh, it was a, a layman's house in Kyoto, a student of Dogen, which, uh, and Dogen named the room where he was, where he was during the period of the Lotus Sutra Hermit. And anyway, that's the story. There's so many references to the Lotus Sutra all through. It's, it's really extraordinary that, uh, uh, you know, and I trace that in the book, how, how the Lotus Sutra appears in all the different periods. And that's an important point in terms of Dogen studies because there's been a lot of discussion of the early, like, early Dogen and late Dogen. Um, that's, mostly, Dogen's shift was not about changing his views or anything. It really could change his style of, of teaching in some ways. Some shifting emphases. Um, Steve Hines' most recent book about Dogen goes through that, that history in nuances that much more clearly. So it's not, it, it's not the case that there was an early Dogen and a late Dogen, and they're really different. But anyway, one way to see that is how the Lotus Sutra is also. Um, I was interested in a point you made early in your talk about um, two different paths to enlightenment that you see um, in the Lotus Sutra. One, the one sounded like you were saying the more common one is that Ricardo Chakras for a thousand lifetimes over and over again. And yet there's another image which is held up, which is a sudden um, instant full enlightenment. Um, I'm from the Christian tradition myself, and it reminds me of the traditional uh, Reformation debate within Christianity about whether salvation is found through work or through faith alone. And uh, I wonder if you could just comment on that. It seems to be a perhaps common thread in the traditions of how salvation or enlightenment actually uh, comes about. And so I just wanted to say a little bit more about that, whether that's operated in different streams within Buddhism or um, whether it's operative actually at the same time. Very good question. Very interesting question. Um, yeah, there does seem to be this kind of tension. So, uh, I, in, in Buddhism, I don't know that we put it in terms of words versus faith exactly, but there's, there's an analogy there. And, again, in terms of Dogen, particularly, and the idea of non-duality, kind of overcomes that tension. But let me get to that. Um, so the first, the first side is, uh, actually, I would say both are present in all, in, in all forms of Buddhism, in a certain way. Maybe in Jewish issue is most radical, you know, kind of stake alone, one of the most radical stake alone kind of approaches, but, um, and, and maybe, um, someone from Turkish could comment on that. But there is this tradition that 
uh, very dominant in Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, and it's in Chinese Buddhism, and it's, and it's in some parts of Japanese Buddhism of this very arduous practice. The other side is, you can see, one way to talk about it is the leap of faith, another way is in terms of the shortening of the past, is to, to, to realize the Buddhist or the Buddhist nature, or however you want to talk about that, to realize Shinshin, to realize this sense, uh, to feel that open right now. I don't think we have to see them as totally separate. So one of the things that Dokken does is to, to talk about, you know, there, there are many, so the Avatamsaka Sutra was mentioned, that's a sutra which has this, you know, wild vision, but also talks about many stages of practice it has within the Ten Stages Sutra. So there are many, many systems in Buddhism of stages of practice. And I, the way Dokken talks about it, I would say, is that in each stage, you can see, you can realize Buddha nature there. So they don't have so the the two the two approaches don't have to be mutually exclusive. In some sense they can they can. They have the potential to be um, operating together. But it's an it's an interesting issue, I think, in, in all religious uh, endeavor. You know, to what extent do we have to work arduously at our spiritual exercises and to what extent can we just realize uh, the wondrousness of the world. Um, one of the things that Dogen did, though, particularly, is in terms of the, I, the in, in this goes back to the Tenzai teaching that he came out of, and the, ten, the Kondaku was called the original enlightenment idea uh, that was part of Tenzai during his during the 30th century. Dogen um, very much criticizes people who think that if I just have some intellectual understanding of Buddha nature or the original nature of enlightenment or if I just have some deep experiential potential or seeing into the, um, the reality of Buddha nature, then we don't have to practice. So this may be a difference with Shinshu, uh, but I think the way to see this not, but Dogen uh, very much emphasized that even when you see this, it's important to keep practicing. Uh, it's important to keep, so maybe from a Shinshu, uh, I couldn't speak for Shinshu, but maybe from a Shinshu point of view, is to continue to uh, appreciate Shinshu or something like that. Uh, that. But at any rate, it's, it's not that um, one abandons practice, one abandons devotion when one sees this reality, but actually the, the effect of that reality is the ongoing practice of building emphasizes how Shakyamuni Buddhists continue to awaken and, and, and meditate every day after this so-called great awakening. So anyway, it's, it's a fascinating question. Other comments on that?